Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. All right. Tommy is about some books. One, two, one, two, three, four. Everybody and welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host Justin McElroy, and I'm Sydney McElroy. I had to get a breath in between the middle of the intro. That's never happened to me before. Are you okay over there? I, I am okay. I'm having it's it's the anxiety is bad today. I'm about to leave town for like two weeks. I'm feeling very like stressed out right now. I'm having a hard time with it. Well, the second week is for our beach week. I know that will be nice, but I still am feeling kind of stressed out about it. I'm sorry. It's just being away from home. This is where I thrive. This is where I grow. This is where the deals get done here in 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 the house. I meant to ask you before inside we... the house. Right. I meant to ask you before we started recording, but did you pull up the nest cam of our daughter? Yes, I got her. I, I got the Charlie okay. show, or sorry, the Cooper show is pulled up here. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it immensely. It's a kind of a slow episode. She's just sleeping. So, Good. and Good. it's in black and white, which I stylistically is not my favorite. That's what but. we'd like her to do, at least for the duration of this episode. Well, what is just this episode sleep. about, sister? Well, Justin, maybe this maybe this will be good for your anxiety right now. Uh, usually, when we cover, I feel like when we cover current events or topics that are um, relative to things that are happening today. It's usually bad. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that says a lot about a lot of the current events that are happening these days. A little bit of everything. But since, you know, since we're talking kind of a since, out there, since we cover a lot of misguided medicine, if we're talking about current events, then naturally it would be somewhat dis- disconcerting. Right. Well, this is a current event that I thought would lend itself to kind of a, a more positive story, a okay. more a more a happier story. Okay. Um. Have did you hear about the uh? The soccer team in Thailand that got stuck in the cave. Well said. That's I'm assuming you're speaking rhetorically. That was a very difficult story to miss. A lot of chatter about that on the on the I, web. I never know. Sometimes you go Twitter dark for a while, and I don't Indeed. know what's and you don't know what's happening. Indeed. At all. Yes, that is, correct. That's true about you periodically. Yes. Periodically, yes. So as many people have heard, that there was um, a group of twelve yes. kids in thailand who were they were out with their coach exploring like some caves and then their flooding happened and they got trapped in mm-hmm. these caves and as you already know they're already they're out they're out. Been rescued yeah Yay, that's why this is a good story that's good but a lot of a lot of what people started talking about as they were trying to figure out how to rescue this team was uh the logistics of of diving and the dangers of cave diving one of the people who went in and actually helped uh, assist with the rescue was a doctor um, who happened to be... Do you, are you a friend? No. 
Friend of yours? All doctors don't know each other. Oh, sorry. Uh, an Australian doctor who happened to be there on vacation, Dr. Richard Harris, and oh, wow. was and came because he was also a diving expert. And so an anesthesiologist diving expert, and he went and, and assisted. And so I feel like this Australian anesthesiologist diving expert, I know everything I need to know about him. I feel like I've written his entire biography in my head. I bet he looks great. Really super handsome, right? He, yeah. Of course. <laughs> I hate that. I hate this guy. I don't care how many kids he rescued. I hate this guy. Don't. He's a good guy. No and way. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people worked really hard to um, use their particular skills to get these kids out and and the coach and and it's really kind of, I mean it's it's a wonderful story because um, do you know how hard that is? I mean I think I took a course in diving when I was in college. And the most diving I did was in the swimming pool, <laughs> in the gym, at in, at our college. Yeah, and I do remember you taking that. Yes, and I found it very scary at the bottom of the pool. Uh the the physics and the medicine and the the science that goes into this, it's really incredible. And so I thought a little bit about where diving and medicine intersect, and and the history of hyperbaric medicine. I thought would be a good topic for a show. Um, and relates to this now this as much as we love story. science i know that this topic you were mentioning frustratedly to me last night does cross over into a different class of science of physics and you weren't ha you weren't necessarily thrilled about it <laughs> i am a biologist and a minor chemist because i have a minor in chemistry uh, <laughs> <laughs> she's i mean she's a very notable chemist i'm a major biologist chemist. and a minor chemist okay uh i am Physics was something I took and I did fine in and then forgot about because it was not my strong suit. I don't have good spatial reasoning, honey. It's mm. just not it's just not the way my brain works. Okay. Okay. So if so Sydney gets like, the physics wrong, just keep your tweets to your in stuff your pocket. Like, like gas like the physics of gas and stuff, the like the principles of anyway. So let's talk about diving medicine. Yes. <laughs> this could also be called undersea in hyperbaric medicine. And it's basically the study of humans underwater, right? Right. All the things that happen to your body under pressure and trying to pressurize gases to, you know, put them in your lungs so you can breathe underwater, what risks there are, how do you prevent and diagnose and treat illnesses that can occur um, while diving and, and how your own fitness, how you can do different things to your body to try to make you a better diver that's that's the whole study mm. and it's its own thing altogether because it's i mean everything changes once you put the human body underwater <laughs> kind of like we talked about with space medicine everything changes when you put the human body in space All right we weren't designed to be there folks well but that I, that's what we the are we are thing. in space we are in the ocean for long periods of time in defiance of god the father and we all need to accept <laughs> that it's a sin there i said it if y'all won't i'm in the house I'm staying here. I'm not going to go in space. I'm not going to go to Barbersville. I'm not going to go to the ocean. Okay? I'm fine here. Why did Barbersville get to be on the list I'm just of listing, space, the ocean, and Barbersville? There's many places that I cannot go right now, and they are all, that's the, all of them that are outside of the walls of this this domicile. We're going to go up to my parents and have a chill time in the pool in a little bit here. Okay. I, I'm gonna, I need it. All right. A lot, of, a lot of this has to do with the effects of gases under pressure, and then... As they're not, as they are no longer under pressure, as you leave the underwater environment, does okay. that make sense? Yeah, because yeah, you're yeah. under pressure, and then you have to go back up to the surface, and right. you're not under pressure. And you have to also understand the various mixtures of gases that you could put in a tank to breathe. 
Oxygen done. Next. Not a not pure Got oxygen. It. There are problems with that. Nitrogen. We'll get into eighty percent nitrogen, twenty percent oxygen. Sort of one percent. One percent helium. Because once you get to the rescue, you can crack everybody up with this great voice you could he- do. Helium's actually a really great choice. We'll talk about why. Yes. Uh, but the but the mixes of gases in the tank actually are a little different than the mixture of gases in the air we breathe. Because we surface. need because we need different stuff. Because we're not absorbing air through our skin. Let me get let me get through it. Let me get there. No, but well, no, no, that's not a. Mm, okay. <laughs> uh, all this changes as you go up and down through the water, and especially to different depths. And and I, not to belabor the point, but do you know with cave diving how much more dangerous that is than open water diving? Um, I mean. I know that cave being is a lot more dangerous <laughs> than non-cave being, so I can kind of just, like, yeah, I can extrapolate. Because oh, a, a lot of, with cave diving, there's no surface to go to, right? Right, it's, like, yes. It's not like you imagine, like, you pop up out of the water and there's the cave ceiling up above you. Like, the ceiling is this comes in up, the water. This comes up in Tomb Raider a lot. You are swimming <laughs> down through a chasm. You know that there's something else on the other end because the game is made by people mm-hmm. and you think like, should I pop up and get some air? But you can't cause you're kind of like in a tunnel. So maybe you need to go. Only people do this in real life. <clears throat> yeah. I'm just, my and... experiences with Tomb Raider, you don't need to be crappy about it. I'm just no, saying, I'm my... just saying like that as wild as that sounds in a game, like people do this in real life. And so like I read, like you have to, if you're going cave diving, you have to conserve two thirds of your air to get back oh, because you use... you'll probably breathe a little faster. Yeah. And you'll use up your air faster and you don't ever want to, if you, they say if you use up half your air on the way into the cave, then you're already dead and you don't know it. Mm. It's terrifying. Which, cave diving which, is incredibly which dangerous. Is, which is hilarious because it's like. Is it? If you, no, I mean, it's, I'm saying it's hilarious because it's like save two thirds of your oxygen because you're going to be real freaked out coming out. And if you don't save two thirds of your oxygen, you're dead. And it's like, well, is there anything we could do to maybe not make me just burn through all the oxygen instantly. Is there anything you're going to say that's not going to trip me out more than I already am tripped out? I mean, don't cave dive. <laughs> I guess, yeah. I, it's it's. I will not be doing it, and for those of you who do it, I salute you, because it would scare me. The pool scared me. Um, so some common illnesses with diving, uh, just to kind of get into these before we go into the history. The, the most common that most people have heard of... The bends. There you go, the bends. Decompression sickness. Uh, do you know what it's named for? Uh, you asked me this while you're researching, and I said, "From bending over," and you look somewhat deflated, as though that was the the last thing I would have guessed. Well, okay, you didn't and know not, the, In fact, you didn't the know, first, <laughs> you didn't know the whole thing. So the bends. Okay, this is this is what the bends are. So you're inhaling a mixture of gases, compressed gases, right in the mm-hmm. tank. Mm-hmm. Um, nitrogen is in there. And you're inhaling more of it because it's under pressure. And this is because of Boyle's law. And we'll get into who Robert Boyle was and how he came up with this. But basically, uh, the volume of gas is inversely proportional to the pressure that it's under. So more pressure, lower volume, less pressure, higher volume. So there's nitrogen that you're inhaling. It's dissolved in your tissues until you start coming up for air. So you start rising through the water up to less pressure. That That volume of gas starts to expand and it bubbles back into your circulation. Okay. Okay. And you can get air bubbles different places. Um, in the, I guess, best case scenario, you just get air bubbles in your tissues and joints and things that cause a lot of like pain in your knees and your hips and your shoulders and that kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. And that pain will cause you to kind of stoop over. And that's where the name the bends comes from because you're bent over. And it's actually named for the Grecian bend. You know what the Grecian bend is? No. It was a, uh, a, a silhouette of the female body that was popularized around 1820. Mm-hmm. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's like the the female figure that's like kind of stooped over and she's got the big bustle in the back. So the back of like like her butt area yeah. is kind of poked out and she's yeah. usually carrying a teeny little umbrella, uh, like yeah. parasol in yeah, the front think... and that, that curvature of the body. Okay. That was greatly exaggerated in, right. in art. Um, that is the Grecian bend and it was named for stooped Grecian figures that were found that were beautiful for that reason. So most people have heard of that part of the bends where you you feel really sick and you hurt all over. Right. Um, you can also actually get those little bubbles of gas that can embolize or break off and kind of go in your blood vessels and can block blood flow to different places. So okay. this can be very serious. This it can sa- result It in, sounds very bad. In my layman's uh, brain, that sounds very bad. It can result in paralysis. It can result in death. It's a it's a big deal. Um, those are two of the worst things. There, there's a wide range of of presentations and it can be very bad there's also a couple other things that can happen when you're diving you said inhale all oxygen no you don't want to do that um it's not good to inhale too much oxygen i mean like our air is like 21 percent oxygen mm-hmm. it's not like it's not like a lot <laughs> why do we call it oxygen well honey we call oxygen oxygen we don't call air oxygen air is air okay okay well that's fine <laughs> it's mostly nitrogen I just like our oxygen gets a lot of the the you have glory. to have oxygen because if you don't have it you'll die but if you have too much of it you could also die so you want uh two o's and not like three o's because three o's might be too many well that was ozone we did that right last you don't week. want three o's because that's too many o's you so, want just the right amount of o's o2 too much oxygen can result in it can damage cells you can have vision problems lung problems seizures are the biggest worst presentation oxygen toxicity again could be fatal so you have to have just the right you uh, the inhaled gases in like a in a diving tank sometimes have more oxygen in them but you don't want too much. Okay. A little more but not too much more. Nice blend. Um also the reason you don't want as much nitrogen in part is the bends that we just talked about that's largely from nitrogen. But it's also nitrogen narcosis. So pretty much all inert gases, all gases except for helium and possibly neon, but helium is the important one here can make you drunk at high enough doses. Okay. Like if you inhale them, narcosis for the narcotic effect, it makes you loopy and, you know, out of your mind. Why am I spending all these calories on old fashions then? You just inhale some nitrogen. There you have it, There folks. you go. You inhale enough nitrogen. From your favorite medical <laughs> no, I mean, podcast. Don't, don't do it. <laughs> from podcasting's favorite doctor, Sidney McElroy, says... But but basically, you inhale too much ni- nitrogen, and you feel out of it, and that's not good, because you're diving, you're underwater, and you're doing something dangerous, and mm-hmm. especially cave diving, you really can't be suffering from that. So that's actually why you'll see there are different diving mixtures that have more helium in them mm-hmm. to prevent this, because helium doesn't do this. Okay. Um, but again, you've, you've got to get just that right mixture of everything. There's also barotrauma, just pressure from... The pressurized gases that um, we know this can happen outside of diving too. This can happen in like people who are on a ventilator and that kind of thing, where you can damage lung tissue that way, either from like pressure or from a vacuum applied to the lung tissue that can cause bleeding. So there are lots of things that can happen to the human body while diving. That sounds terrible. Yes, but but that's why there's this whole 
field of science and medicine where they have sought to find ways around all these issues. Okay. Now, all of this kind of goes back, as I mentioned, I was going to tell you a little bit about Robert Boyle. Robert Boyle was an Irish chemist and a physicist and an inventor, and he did a lot of different experiments on gases in the 1650s and 1660s, along with Robert Hooke. And a lot of what he was interested in was how uh, gases behaved in a vacuum. And this would all become very important as we sought to understand diving medicine and everything down the road. Um, he was also, I just think this is an interesting side note. This was part of the time when, and Justin, I think you were really recently reading about this, around the new philosophy of science. Yes, yes. He was part of the new philosophy. Okay. He, he formed what was originally called the Invisible College, but later became known as the Royal Society. Uh, scientists who believed instead of just um, kind of in like the, the tradition of Aristotle, you would argue your scientific point, like how does something work? You argue it and whoever comes up with the best argument for it is right. Right. You're really talking about the, this sort of <clears throat> transitional phase between science being an accurate recounting of the phenomenon that we can perceive in the world and an accurate recounting of why that phenomena actually occurs. And he, he, was, he was interested in experimenting, testing, observing things, testing those things, and then figuring it out based on that, mm -hmm. as opposed to just, this sounds logical, I'll argue it, my argument makes more sense than yours, I win. Yeah. So anyway, he was part of that. And a lot of the experimentation he did was on gases, and he came out with Boyle's Law, which is that the volume is inversely proportional to the pressure of a gas, and this is how you figure out how to pressurize gas in a tank and mm -hmm. give to divers and all that. Anyway, he also once threw a viper into a compression chamber and then decompressed it. Um, why? I'm not sure. <laughs> but <coughs> he did He did note that he saw a bubble form in the eye of the viper as he decompressed it. Ooh. It was nitrogen. It was decompression. Okay. It was, he was witnessing decompression illness. Yeah. I don't, don't do this, please. I'm not a snake fan, but do not do this to snakes. Yeah. Um, in 1662, so this is recently after we're starting to understand compression and decompression of gases, right? Mm -hmm. Boyle has just done all these experiments and published all this stuff. A British physician, Henshaw, tried to treat people with compressed air. Like, hmm, this is interesting. Let's compress some air and put it around people. So he built something That's called- That's for getting the dust out of people, actually, is fine. But just don't- uh turn the canister upside down because it becomes very cold it's very unpleasant what are like, you talking about compressed air like uh, the can of, okay <laughs> uh, compressed air it's like in a can yes, to clean off your computer and he wasn't doing that he built the domicilium which was a big sealed room that was attached to some hand operated bellows okay so you put people in the room and then just kind of like put like use the bellows and either compress the air or decompress the air and you would want the air pressure in the room to be higher for acute stuff and lower for chronic stuff and you could also just spend some time in there for your general wellness sure. this is not compressed oxygen by the way this is this is like a precursor to hyperbaric oxygen we'll get into okay because this was just high pressure air okay not oxygen. just oxygen okay. it was all air um this probably was not very effective either way it probably wasn't very dangerous either just because how much compression were you getting with a sealed room that had a hand operated bellows attached to it that you're, that you're pumping on your own um this is basically what you're describing as the machine from the pit of despair right yeah it kind of is <laughs> he was he was sucking away one year of their life <laughs> 
Uh, but no, but there wasn't really other than this this one physician who was like, "Huh, I wonder if all this compression stuff could be good for medicine." There wasn't really much interest in it until the 1800s. Okay. What happened then? Well, I'm going to tell you, Justin. Oh, you! I walked right into that one. But first, let's go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McQuarrie fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McElroy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got, like, fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From, from, from a, a box? Pre-prepared, all I got in two minutes, I'm eating filet mignon. That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. So it was the 1800s and people were getting really into compressed air for some reason, Sydney. That's right. And- I'm assuming it was for... The fam of the opera. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Okay. But the and and please no, I'm trying to cover kind of like two things at once here. I'm talking about the history of, of how we figured out a lot of diving medicine and also like in order to figure out how to 
diagnose and prevent the bends and decompression sickness was the biggest thing people were trying to understand. Um, you also were trying to figure out how to treat that. And all this kind of goes hands in, hand in hand. So I'm, I'm telling you the history of like this, how we figured out how gases work, and then also hyperbaric oxygen treatment for decompression sickness. It's mm -hmm. all tied in here together. Um, if it seems wandering, that's why. So in, in the 1830s, a French physician, Emile Tabary, began treating patients using a, a hyperbaric chamber of his own device. So he made this compressed air chamber. Um, Assuming he had a big house. <laughs> mainly to treat respiratory illness. That was the big use for it at the time, like any kind of asthma or tuberculosis or pneumonia or anything that's wrong with your lungs. This led to interest in France and other French physicians building their own chambers, especially Junot, who built this big round copper chamber that could reach much higher pressures. Okay. Um, so he was actually like, the, these early attempts maybe weren't doing too much. This was probably the first time that like, we were probably doing something. And he noted that people who spent time in there, he thought he was increasing their well-being, like their general wellness. This is time of like, I don't know, can we do something just to make us feel better all the time? And people who spent time in this chamber would feel better, which may have actually been a little bit of that nitrogen narcosis we talked about. Like a little bit high. Yeah, they're getting right. a little bit high. This is also, by the way, have you heard of the rapture of the deep? No. That's what Jacques Cousteau called it. No. I mean, I've You've heard of Jacques Cousteau. I, I played Bioshock which is set in rapture underneath the water. Is that, is that something? The rapture of the deep is what Jacques Cousteau called that feeling you get when you're breathing too much nitrogen and you're underwater. When I need to get baked. <laughs> um, that's the same thing. Uh, in 1837, there, the contemporary of these other of these other doctors, Pravaz, built a giant air bath that could accommodate 12 people at once in Lyon. Mm. So you get 12 people compressed all at the same time. Just squish them all together. Um, and like like a lot of new treatments that we cover, it became a cure-all for a while. Okay, of the, course, yes. Yes, of course. Everybody wanted to try it for everything. And, and the use of these chambers were spreading all throughout Europe. So everybody was wanting to go spend time, especially for things like tuberculosis, which nobody was sure what to do with yet, spend time in one of these compressed air chambers for that, or just to make you feel better in general. Um, there's a Dr. Fontaine who built a mobile one in 1879. Mm-hmm. That you yeah, could just, you know, I'm take around. I'm assuming he had a big car. <laughs> the county fairs or whatever. Spend some time in the in the compressed air chamber. Sounds kind of like how escape rooms just started popping up everywhere. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Same idea. Prescribing them for everything. Um, it could hold more people. And they even started to do surgeries inside this. Uh, they thought that the uh, pressurized air helped um, reduce hernias better. And... Nope. Just got the doctors baked. Good job, everybody. <laughs> um. There was even, Fontaine had plans for a 300-seat hyperbaric surgical theater. So like a big giant, like the whole room would be pressurized. Yeah. In addition to the operating area, like you could sit in wanna, your pressurized comfort. I want to see uh, uh, a Wizard of Oz in there with Dark Side of the Moon synced up to it and then <laughs> fire up the hyperbaric chamber. This was There was actually like some kind of injury that occurred that he that Fontaine sustained while building this thing, which is why it was never realized because he, mm. he died before he got to see its creation and then it, it never happened. Yeah. Um, but uh, but so they never built that. But um, they were using these all over Europe. Now, of course, in the U.S., we had to get in on that. Right. We need it. We need it. So a uh, Dr. Cum Cunningham was one of the biggest 
um, proponents of this kind of therapy because he observed during the Spanish flu epidemic that patients in higher elevations, he thought, fared better. And so based on that idea, he thought that hyperbaric therapy would be helpful for the Spanish flu. So he treated all his patients with it, despite the fact that one night he, he had a bunch of patients and he would put them in these in these um, compression chambers for a long time. Mm-hmm. And one night he had them all in a chamber and they lost power. And uh, everybody died. Oh. Everybody decompressed instantly. Oh, Sydney. Yeah. But he only saw this, instead of seeing it as like a, a, a danger of this therapy... Because nobody understood why this was problematic yet. Mm-hmm. But instead of they seeing it as They didn't understand why a 12, bunch of people died that was well, problematic? what he thought was, ah, my therapy was the only thing keeping them alive. God, people. <laughs> so he went on to expand, especially once the Spanish flu epidemic waned, he went on to treat every... I mean, like he had to find another reason to do this. So syphilis, high, hypertension, diabetes, cancer, everything. In Cleveland in 1928, he built a five-story, 64-foot diameter chamber. It was basically like a nice hotel. That's so radical. That was all like a like a compression chamber, like a compression decompression. Because you could do both. I'm, I'm calling it compression, but you could do both to people, depending on... There was some belief that, that pressurizing the air was helpful for some conditions and then what they call rarefied air or the decompressed air, lower mm-hmm. pressures were helpful for other mm-hmm. illnesses. So you could do either. But he built, it was like a giant hotel that he built. It's awesome. To just put a bunch of people in and they could sleep there and stay there and be under pressurized air. It might be slightly more exciting if it weren't for your previous anecdote. Like the, well, the this that's po- true. hotel had the possibility of just becoming a huge coffin at any second. <laughs> I guess that's fair. Undeterred, this cat, huh? Just like one more again. Maybe the problem was I didn't get enough people in there. The- what if this is what H.H. H. Holmes, what if that was his big play? He, why did he waste so much time building a hotel and then serial killing a bunch of people in there? He could have wiped them all out with just, just one, this. just pull the plug and then everybody I, re- it. I was reading, as I was reading this story, I was like, please tell me this place still exists. I have to go visit this place. It's no, in Cleveland. We no, can get you there. can't. Come. No, it's not. They tore it down. They tore it. The, the AMA was always on this guy's case. They kept saying, like, if this works, where's the evidence? Present us with the evidence. Surely you have evidence that this works. And I mean, he didn't. So he was discredited in 1937, and it was converted to like a regular hospital briefly, and then just torn down. Oh, so right. anyway, you can't visit the Cunningham Chamber as much as I would very much enjoy that. All of this comes together not with diving, actually, but with coal mining. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, the Industrial Revolution brought along the demand for coal, right? Because we're building a bunch of things. We need coal. We need energy. And in France, coal was found beneath a river, the Loire River. Okay, and uh, flooding left it hard to mine all of this coal. Okay. So we had to get people down to where this coal was so that we could use it for energy. So a mining engineer, Jean Triger, developed a system of caissons. Caissons? What's a caisson? Well, okay, I had heard of these, but I had to look at a lot of diagrams to really understand what was happening. So if you're going to build something, if you're going to mine coal underwater, or this is the same thing if you're going to build a bridge, if you're going to build something underwater, you have to get people down under the water. You have to displace water with pressure. 
right. then get people down there, right? Right. So you would lower these pressurized chambers underwater and then, and, or lower these chambers and then pressurize them and force out all the water and mud and everything and then put people in them. Okay. Look at diagrams. They're like big boxes. Okay. Underwater that are pressurized. Okay. Okay. And so that's what they started using to to mine the coal. Um, but in order to do like they're the chambers are pressurized to keep water and mud and everything out of them and you're putting humans in them so you're making them inhale pressurized gases much like a diver would does this make sense yes this is why all this ties together because people would work there and they'd be fine while they were down there working in these pressurized environments but then when they would come back up to the surface at the end of the day of work uh about 12 hours later they would all get really sick the bends because they were getting the bends and some of them even suffered from paralysis and death and i mean obviously there were major problems with this so because so many people were getting ill they started bringing in doctors to try to study like what what is happening here what why you know they're not they they pretty quickly realized it's not being in the the caissons that's not the problem it's when you come out something mm. is happening to right, your body right. when you come out right. and so this physician paul burt began to study this issue and he would eventually become he would eventually come to be able to describe decompression sickness what was happening in the body and and you know why this was the problem but not quite how to fix it yet but starting to understand what they may be able to do to fix it but because word spread pretty slowly back then, we didn't have the internet yet to right. tell us everything right away. Um, we were still seeing one of the most famous cases of this was actually the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. While the Brooklyn Bridge was under construction, uh, a lot of workers were claimed by what they began to call caissons disease. Oh, name it. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because people were working down in these pressurized areas and then and then getting decompression sickness and dying um, before word spread like, hey, we figured this out. And by the time actually... The Holland Tunnel was finished. It had been started and then there was a funding problem and it was put on pause for a long time. And that was probably good because then by the time it was restarted, uh, we understood this. And there was actually a decompression chamber on site to slowly decompress workers oh, okay. so that people weren't dying from this. Um, they still had problems with it, but they were beginning to understand how to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and as we did more projects in the future like things where people had to be deeper and we had to have higher pressures and we started to see that like eh, we're going to need to it, it, there's not a one-size-fits-all solution to this that's where we see the british physician haldane come up with tables of how if you are under this much pressure for this much time here's how long it takes you to decompress these are diving tables mm. these are the precursors to diving tables which is what a diver would use today if you're going to go this deep in the water for this much time, here's how long and how slowly you need to ascend to the service surface or how long it would take you to decompress okay. so that you don't get decompression sickness. Huh. Because does, did you know that about diving, that one way you can avoid the bends is by slowly coming I back did, to the surface? I did actually know that. Yes. I did know that. And that's, how di that's what diving tables help you to do. Figure okay. that out. I did not know that the second half of the <laughs> sentence about that's exactly diving it. tables. I always wondered about that. Yeah, that's what they're all about. And these were the first ones that were made. There are different ones now that we use. They've, they've gotten more precise over time. Um, there are probably apps. I mean. Oh, I'm sure there's an app. There has to be an app. There's probably apps. I'm certain there's an app. Um, so all of this was understood for all of these. Um, by the way, how like humans are wild. Here we are underwater building bridges. Isn't it yeah. crazy? Let's yeah. drop these 
tanks and pressurize them and force all the water Whatever. out and then put humans we in them. We want a bridge we here. We want a bridge here. We're going to build a tunnel here. We're, We're not do going this. around. Uh, humans <laughs> rule. Uh, yeah, we're awesome. Uh, quick question about this, because I don't know that we're necessarily. Um, you, What do you do? Okay, so you can go up slowly, right? Mm-hmm. But like, what if like there's a shark or something, whatever? And you go up too fast? Yeah. So that's where all this, this is where it all comes together. That's where hyperbaric oxygen comes in. Okay. So we had been, we had been toying around with ways to pressurize air and could it make humans healthier, right? Mm -hmm. Well, eventually people realized that pressurizing the air wasn't as important as pressurizing the oxygen. Applying high pressures of oxygen to humans, was there some advantage to that? And as we talked about, you had to be careful with this because of oxygen toxicity, but applying high pressured hyperbaric oxygen to people after they if they've come up too quickly or if they've been mm-hmm. a great enough enough depths where they just they just couldn't um that can actually treat decompression sickness and prevent well treat the bends at that point okay. you've already got the problem so you're treating it so hyperbaric oxygen chambers are now standard at a lot of diving facilities where if you've come up too quickly you can go spend some time in the hyperbaric oxygen chamber and, and it'll, it'll just slowly repressurize you pretty much yes and and prevent the nitrogen from bubbling up into your circulation uh, you magazines you know i don't know probably because you magazine? spend a while that way how long are we talking days it, minutes not minutes but hours okay yeah usually not days <sighs> i hope you get some it, a tv the, a game boy something the tape it used to be days that you would spend in decompression chambers and things slowly rising your pressure um that, and that was part of why the diving tables and all these pressurized tables changed over time was to shorten the length of time that you needed. Mm-hmm. And hyperbaric oxygen helps with that too. But but that is one of the uses of, the main use probably of hyperbaric oxygen today is to treat the bends and and help with that problem. And then all these other issues that we've come up with, like the, the nitrogen narcosis and the oxygen toxicity, a lot of this has to do with using the right blend of gases in your tank. Mm-hmm. which we were better and better at. Not that it can't still happen, but, you know, it's more much better at it than we used to be. Um, and so we've, fr- from the 1930s on, we found ways to address all these issues with, with divers, and we've just really advanced since then. Now, in addition to using hyperbaric oxygen to treat decompression sickness, which is probably the main thing that it's used for, um, we can also use it for some other, th- like actually, actually we use it at our wound care center here. Oh, really? It helps with some wound healing. Specifically, like wounds from um, radiation or wounds uh, from lack of blood flow or like diabetic foot ulcers, gangrene um, for skin grafts or or a skin flap. Hmm. It can help with healing, um, brain abscesses, like different infections. Chamber. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Carbon monoxide poisoning. So you have one. Like personally. Not on you. Not on me. Yeah, at at work. Yeah. Do they ever let doctors like go in there and get? like chill just no. to relax a little bit no 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 i the patients that i've had that have used it don't in, they say it, it makes them feel very claustrophobic they feel very trapped and they oh. don't particularly enjoy it y'all should get a bigger one <laughs> <laughs> we should get a 300 seat yes no, or a five story high and then we'll, book, chamber. then we'll book some shows at it so i say all this again to just underline that all of the Thai Navy SEALs and this Dr. Harris and all the different, the, the diving instructors, all the different people who went in to help rescue this team. I mean, 
are heroes because not only did they do it, which is incredibly dangerous. People die cave diving all the time. It's incredibly dangerous. But they also got these boys to do it. Yeah. That's amazing. amazing. They're kids who never, they never dove before. And another hero is, I would say, science. Thanks again, science. You've saved the day once more. Thank you for always being there for us, even when (laughs) we're not there for you. (laughs) Uh, Well, thank you to you, Sydney, for that uh, delightful discussion. And thank you to you, the listener at home, for uh, uh, hanging out with us for another uh, program. As long as we've got gratitude here. Can I thank all those amazing rescuers? I thought you did. Oh. Well, I didn't know if I actually said thank you. All right, Sydney, thank them. Thank you. And I didn't name, and Saman Gunan was the Thai Navy SEAL who died while he was helping to rescue the boys. Well, Because uh, you remember our heroes both living and past. Absolutely, Sydney. Uh, I want to say, uh, while we're saying thank you to folks, uh, I think, and this is not as kind as it was for people to send things to our PO box, not quite on the level with uh, giving our life to rescue Thai children, but still very nice. Brooke sent us a purse, Sarah a blanket, Amy sent a lovely cross stitch, and Brad uh, sent a big 20 dice roller. So thank you to all of you for those kind gifts. That was an awkward transition, but uh, there was nothing to be done for it, I think. Uh, thank you to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thank you to you at home for uh, listening, of course. Uh, we, we sure appreciate it. Hey, if you got a second, uh, do two things. One, go to bit.ly forward slash the Sawbones book and check out art from our forthcoming book that comes out October 9th from Weldon Owen. Uh, we wrote a whole book and you could pre-order it there, see some art that Taylor Smurl, Sydney's sister, and the illustrator of the book did, and pre-order it, and we really appreciate you doing that. Um, and if you could also go to the iTunes store and give us a review, we would uh, very much appreciate that too. So we know that's two favors, but if you could do one or both, uh, it would just it would just be the top. So thank you so much. And uh, that's going to do it for us for this week. So my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.